Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. of ours that we were getting to know a little bit more. Uh, they are actually missionaries to Zambia, Africa. And so I want uh, them to share a little bit about who they are. And they've got a table out there. I'd love for you guys to connect with them afterwards and just, uh, just get to know what they're doing. Would you guys please welcome the Cheneys as they come on up and share. Give them a big hand as they come on up and share what God is doing. Good morning. We're glad to be here. Um, we just want to first thank you guys for allowing us to come. Um, uh, thank you to Sean and Becca and our friends uh, uh, Gary and Kelly Poole and Jake and Tanya Sapp. That's how we have been connected uh, here. So I just, uh, just a thank you to them and to the entire church. So thanks a lot. Um, I'm going to introduce uh, our family. Uh, my name is Gary. This is my wife, Rachel. This is our daughter from Zambia, Melinda, and we have two others. Um, we have a, a nine-year-old daughter. Her name is Leah, and a seven-year-old boy who is Luke. And um, so Rachel and I have been, and she'll tell you a little bit more, we've been nurses uh, for 20 years. I've been a nurse practitioner for the last five of that. I've also been a uh, fire, uh, uh, firefighter uh, for Liberty Fire Department. We, we met at Liberty in the ER, so we have a connection with Liberty, and um, I'm from originally from St. Joe, Missouri, and she's from Kansas City. She went to Winnetonka High School, um, and her mother, who started the organization, All God's Children, um, she lives in Pleasant Valley, and her name is Vicki Cooper. Um, our, our organization, like I said, is All God's Children, um, and I just want to share just a little something in my heart. Um, it's, I just, when I was talking to Shia, I said, I'm the most unlikely person. Uh, I feel that way because it's happened to me, but I'm the most unlikely person to ever have, uh, went out and, and done mission work. Uh, if you'd go back to my, my family, where I'm from and everything, there's no Christianity on either side. God wasn't mentioned. And it's like, I step back from that sometimes and I'm going, how am I, how am I doing this? But that's how God is. That's the grace and love of God. Um, in that. So um, he gave up everything um, on the cross for us. Uh, he gave us everything so we could be free. And when we're free, then we feel that love. And then in love, we want to give back to him. It has nothing to do with our salvation, but it has to do with his, the love that he showed us that we want to go and we want to do more and we want to do something. So that's what the, the Lord has given me um, a message over there and a message here is like be encouraged to not give up, to stay in the battle and fight. Stay in the battle and fight. So um, Sean gave, uh, I sit in on both of his messages today, and he's, it's an amazing message you're about to hear from him. And uh, the Lord gave me a second part of a verse in Luke uh, 4.18 that says... Um, New Living Translation. He said, He has sent me to, progl- to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. 
So that's what he's done to me, and he's wanting to do that to you. Good morning. As Gary said, my name's Rachel, and um, I wanted to connect um, us to Journey really quick. So Gary and um, Kelly Poole that are here, they are good friends of ours, and they have been coming with us to Zambia off and on. They came in 2013, and then they came in 2015, and this last year, and she brought her son. His name is Benjamin Stefan. He's 25, and he came to Zambia in January kind of literally on a whim, and he was like, Mom, I'll go with you, and she's like, okay, and then he's like, what do you think about me staying a little longer? And she's like, oh, I'll ask the Cheneys. And we said, yeah. I mean, he's, um, you know, a saved born-again Christian, wants to do God's work, bring him. So he came, and he stayed. And he just kept staying. And we're like, when are you going home? And he said, well, God hasn't told me to go home yet. So I have nothing at home, so I'm going to stay here for a while. And so he is now um, really one of our missionaries, an All God's Children missionary. And it's Kelly, um, someone from your church. It's her son that's there. And he's doing our, uh, the work that God has given us to do. And I never imagined that in 15 months the, what the power of God can do. And he lives in us, you guys. And, and the power of God is, is if you tap into it, but you've got to tap into it. It, it will move mountains, and I never knew in 15 months what he could do. And so now we have an organization over there called All God's Children Zambia that we've registered on that side. I'm the executive director. My husband's a treasurer, um, so we have really good accountability with our money at this point now and how we um, get our money. And so Ben is now there doing the work <laughs> that I wanted to see continue and he's just, God's amazing and has brought this really cool partner to us. And it, it happens to be Kelly's son. So Kelly is actually going to bring a, a team of people um, to Zambia in June. And when we have teams, short-term teams come, we are building a hospital. So um, there is always some medical care that's, that's there. But all gifts will be used on our mission trips. It will never be like a full doctor group or, you know, if you're not a nurse, you can't go. Um, it's anything can be used. So if you're interested in going somewhere this year or any time in, in the future, we're, we love to bring teams back and forth. Um, that opportunity is there. We also um, have been good friends for about 10 years with the Saps, um, Jake and Tanya Sap. I see their dad back there. But uh, Jake and Tanya have they were in our very first discipleship group together 10 years ago. And they're huge supporters of ours. Actually, I went, Gary went to Haiti, or we both went to Haiti with Tanya and um, for our first time to Haiti. And so um, that's another connection that we have here. And there's a couple people in your congregation that actually support a couple of the orphans that live in Zambia that we support. We have a compassion side of our organization where we actually um, sponsor like Compassion International. And we had three young boys that this year lost their mom to AIDS. Um, still a huge epi epidemic there. 15% of the population is known to have HIV and AIDS, and doctors say it's more like 20, 25%. So one in four, one in five people are still walking around with the disease there. So the mom died. She was 30 years old and left these three little boys behind with a very um, sad, hopeless, um, very poor grandmother who was just kind of desperate, like, what do I do? And we said, well, you know, maybe our organization can help you. And we put the kids' pictures out there, and it was um, Pat Richardson and Sherry Gray, and they support these three boys. And I'm telling you, 
little stuff makes a difference. And never underestimate those little things that can make a difference. Your $25 a month goes a long way. And they send about $30 a month. And these children, I have seen this little boy Emmanuel's face go from hopeless to hopeful. And he walked around so sad throughout that village. And now when I see him, he walks around like just he's got a little more life in him. You know, and he's getting fed. He's going to school because of them. The mom just got her well dug a little deeper, so she's got clean water available now because of them. And it's, it matters. All those little things matter. A little smile goes a long way. You don't have to move to Africa to make a difference in partnering with us. So it's, um, we have four pillars. We have health care. We have discipleship and church planning. We have... Um, the, the peace with the families and compassion, and then we have sustainability efforts. So we're trying to um, get this so it's sustainable on that side um, so we could, like farming and things like that. So I just want to encourage everybody today um, just to know that um, every little bit matters and never think that, ah, oh, I can only, you know, what can I do? Everybody can do something, and it, it, it matters. I mean, we started sponsoring her in 2010 and we sent $25 a month. I had her picture on beside my bed and I just prayed for her and sent her money. And now she's my daughter forever. So, you know, God moves mountains and I just want to encourage you guys to say, we're going to show you a video and you guys can see what's going on. If you have any questions, please sign up for our newsletter in the foyer. And if you have any questions you want to go, you want to give, ask. So thank you guys. Hello from Zambia, Murishani. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? My vision for the Maroondoo Mission Hospital of Hope is to provide a refuge for the people here. It's also to uh, glorify God and to bring a lot of people to Jesus. I want this to be a place where they can come and get quality health care as well as definitive health care. Uh, the nearest hospital is about a two-hour walk from here, so bringing it close, the health care closer to the people is our main priority. We want to do everything that glorifies God. And in 2013, we brought a team back and we opened the container and we saw all the medical equipment that was there. The medical equipment were not, was not only for a clinic, it was, there was enough there for a hospital. So we, we knew that our, our vision was bigger.
here but we hope that we can also very soon build a guest house right behind me so that teens from the U.S. and all over the country in Zambia can come and stay here for the hospital. We also like to build flats for the staff at the hospital. We also have a vision for a community center. The community center would allow kids to come and have a place to go after school and on weekends for, t for tutoring. They could, we could also do classes for health care. We could do home-based care classes there and we could do discipleship there. We also would like at some point maybe to have an orphan center um, for girls for a refuge for them to stay at. Good. Love what they're doing over there. I encourage you again, stop out there and uh, and get to know them a little bit better. Uh, today, um, I'm going to start a brand new series called A Christmas Carol. Before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Get your Bibles ready and, and get ready to receive from the Lord. Lord, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And Lord, we're willing receivers this morning. We receive your word. Let it be implanted into our heart, Lord. Let it change us from the inside out. And I pray that the result of this day is that we'd look a little bit more like you when we walk out of this place and when we came in. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you guys are familiar with the story, A Christmas Carol, the Charles Dickens story, A Christmas Carol? It's, it's uh, the classic story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who's a miserly old man who just loves money. He's going after money. He thinks money's going to make him happy, but money's actually making him more miserable. Everyone around him knows it's making him miserable. And, and to the point where in the story, some of his old deceased business partners show up to him and, and tell him that he's going to be visited by three spirits, three ghosts, the ghosts of Christmas past, the ghosts of Christmas present, and the ghosts of Christmas is yet to come. And so that's how the story unfolds. And the ghost of Christmas past, which is what we're going to talk about today, it takes him back and shows him some of his memories. Some of the memories were good memories. Uh, some of the memories weren't so good and showed him some of the pain that he had in his life. And so as we, we think about that, I think we can all re relate to ghosts in our past, to pain in our past. How many guys ever had some pain in your past before? We can all relate to that. Uh, evidently, there's a, a study out that one in five Americans actually believe in ghosts and have seen one, according to this study. Uh, this, another study I saw uh, said that was way conservative because up to 48% believe in ghosts. So I don't know whether you believe in ghosts or not, or you've seen a ghost or not. I think we can all relate to visiting our past in our thoughts from time to time. And so when I was thinking about this idea, I, I quickly came to this story in scripture that many of you are familiar with. It's a story of a guy named Jacob. Jacob in scripture, his past was always hunting him down. He was always haunted by his past. His past was always chasing him down. He was always running from his past. It started from the very beginning. Even when he came out of the womb, he was trying to reset how his future would look by trying to reset his past, by trying to be the firstborn, by trying to do all these things. 
things. Uh, he had father issues. I mean, he, he was trying to deceive his father out of things, and, and he had trouble there with his father. He had brother issues. He deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright, and he was at odds with his brother and always running away from his past to the degree that he ran away from home, and he went and he got married, and then he had uh, marital issues that he had to run away from. He had father-in-law issues that he begins to run away from his father-in-law's house, and he's always running from his past. He's always trying, but there's a trajectory that's happening that even though he's running from his past, eventually his past is going to catch up with him and affect his life. And so today, no matter what past you have or how you're running from it, eventually we do have to face the past and deal with it. And so in Genesis chapter 32, we see, uh, we see Jacob having to actually do that when he encounters his brother Esau. And in Jacob sent messengers in verse 3 before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir in the country of Edom, instructing him. He says, tell Esau how I'm doing. I've got a lot of things going on. I've made a life out of myself. I'm a good person. He says, I've got all these things going for me, at, hoping that he might have mercy to reconcile in some way, shape, or form. The messengers go out. They come back, and they say, listen, I came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, but the problem is there are 400 men with him. So Esau, he's assuming, is getting ready to have revenge, you know, 400 men. And so Jacob, in verse 7, was greatly distressed and greatly afraid, and he divided the people who were with him into two camps. And he thought, you know, if Esau attacks this one camp, at least I'll have some people over here and some stuff left over. And so his past is catching up with him, and he has to finally face his past. His past would not go away, no matter how far he tried to run away from it. At some point, he had to deal with it. Now, how many of you have a past? you have a past? How many of you guys have pain in your past? Would you just admit that there's some point? Every person in this room has pain in the past. Some of us have varying degrees of pain in our past, but every person here has pain in our past. The issue is not pain in our past. The issue is undealt with pain in our past. Because every person here has a past and has a painful past and has things you regret, maybe uh, things that didn't go right, maybe something that was done to you. The issue is not that. The issue is not what happened to you. The issue is not the situation. The issue is not the pain that happened to you. The issue is undealt with pain. And so what we want to do today is to deal with some of that pain. And, and let me tell you some of the ways, the wrong ways we deal with pain. Here's what most of us end up defaulting to. We, we deal with it in a few wrong ways. The first way is this, we try to numb the pain of our past. We are the most over-medicated generation in all of history to try to numb the pain of our past. We do it through, through alcohol. We do it through sexual sin. We do it through all these different ways. We do it through all these different ways to try to numb the pain. But listen, you cannot selectively numb emotion. You cannot selectively numb anger or unhappiness or depression because what happens is everything gets numb. Then joy is also numb. You're also numb to joy. You're numb to happiness. You're numb to peace. You can't selectively numb something through some sort of device. It all, and then eventually you begin to spiral down where you feel nothing and you feel depressed all because you cannot selectively numb emotion. You cannot selectively numb pain without also numbing healthy things as well. 
So that's one of the ways that we wrongly try to deal with the pain in our past. Another way that we try to wrongly deal with the pain in our past is by nursing and rehearsing the pain over and over again. And man, we're just thinking about the pain of our past over and over and over again. And it keeps replaying in our head over and over and over again. It's kind of like one of those earworm songs that gets stuck in your head. This is the song that never ends. It just goes on and on. My friend, some people started singing, and I don't know what it was, but they'll continue singing it forever just because it is a song that never ends. Now, I just ruined your week, didn't I? Because that is going to be stuck in your mind. It is awesome. Okay, but that's what we do with pain. We get it stuck in our mind, and we replay the situation over, and we end up living in the past pain over and over and over again. Another, the, the third way that we wrongly deal with our pain is what I call we noise the pain. So in other words, we don't want to deal with the pain in our past, and so we fill up our life with so much activity so that we never have to stop and deal with the pain. We can't sit in our car without there being noise. We can't sit in our home without there being the TV on or a phone in our hand. We can't ever, we've got to busy our life with so much activity. Why? Because we know if we stop for a moment, the ghost of our past will rise up in us again and we'll have to deal with it. And the fact of the matter is, if you're like me, you may even know the very area that God would deal with you if you stopped long enough to let him. But because we know that, we're avoiding dealing with the pain, so we keep ourselves up with activity and activity and busyness because I don't want to be quiet for a moment because if I'm quiet for a moment, I know exactly the areas God's going to deal with my heart about, and I'm just not ready to deal with those things. So yesterday I was deer hunting. I, I say deer hunting, but you actually have to have deer to hunt uh, when you're hunting deer, uh, and I saw none. And so I'm sitting out there by myself uh, for like, Three hours. I know I've got like three hours by myself. There's no deer out there. And all of a sudden, I think, okay, I got my phone. I can read stuff. I can just, you know, put some stuff up online and have fun. My phone dies, like for no reason, just gone. And so I'm just sitting there, no deer, no phone, nothing, just me in the woods. And I look up to God, and I'm like, God, I'm not here to deer hunt, am I? And I sat there for the next three hours, and I thought, God, this is the space that you've been asking for. This is the time you've been wanting where I would stop long enough, and I already knew some areas that God wanted to deal with me on that I had just not stopped long enough to allow him to work with me. And so I sat there for three hours yesterday and just began to let God begin to deal with the pain that we all have those areas, that let God catch up with me and say, Sean, you know I've wanted to talk with you about this for a while. Let's, let's work on this. And I sat there for three hours yesterday and, and, and just allowed God to, to work on that. But so many times we don't. And in fact, we even know what we're doing and we just keep the busyness rolling because we do not want silence in our life. Because silence means God would fill it with his voice. And so we keep busy with those things. Now, here's what I want you to get today. How we mend our past determines how we spend our future. How we mend our past determines how we will spend our future. And if we don't deal with our past, the pain in our past, it will affect how we spend our future. I heard this quote this week, and this is a great quote. Uh, It says this, greatness in God's kingdom is not about how many great things you do for God. It's about how many scars you allow him to redeem. Let me say that again. Greatness in God's kingdom is not about how many great things we do for God. It's about how many scars we allow God to redeem for his purpose. 
And if we're so busy that we never allow God to take the pain in our past and to turn it into a redemptive future, then we miss out on the great thing that God wants to do with our life because every person has pain, every person has scars. And if you don't allow God to redeem the scars, it becomes a perpetual wound that is open forever and it never gets healed. It never sees the light of day. So God wants us to mend our past so we, he can determine how we spend our future. And as I was meditating on that this week, I thought about three words that came up in my spirit on how to help us deal with the ghosts of our past. The first word is the word release. There are some things in our life that we simply need to release that we're hanging on to. You may even be aware of what those things are and have held on to them anyway. You're like, this makes me comfortable. This is a piece of who I am. And if I let go of this, then I'll cease to be who I am right now. And the truth is, you're right. You will, be, you will be not that person anymore. And that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants you to release something so that you're not the same person. You know, if you had to pick, uh, uh, you know, just pack up and pick up your house real quick and just leave, like we heard those fires over in Gatlinburg this week or whatever, and they had to just rush in and grab with whatever they could. If you had to rush into your house right now and grab the most important things, what would it be? It would be important things like documents and birth certificates. It'd be memorable things like your pictures and your videos. You know, that those things are your memories. It would be uh, valuable things like money or jewelry or heirlooms, and you'd pick up those things. Basically things that say who I am, where I've been, and what I'm worth. And we would pick up those things because those are the things that really matter about our life, who I am, where I've been, and what I'm worth. And that kind of makes up who we are. The problem is some of us have been carrying, if we were to rush into the house of our life right now, we would pick up other things that aren't important to who we are. And we carry them from season to season, unnecessarily. But we value them because they've been around all of our lives and we just keep carrying them from season to season. It's kind of like, how many of you guys have an old, ugly couch in your, your house right now? Is it, anybody have something? Maybe it's in your basement right now. Okay. And it came from your grandma's house or something. It probably looks something like, like this right here. How many of you guys have ever seen this thing? You saw it in your grandma's house. And, and it's like, what in the world? Somebody at some point thought that was a good idea. I don't know. Somebody thought that was a good idea at some point. And the reality was, there was a moment where that was a good idea. They picked out a room, and this couch was going to fit perfectly in that room. It was going to fit the decor. It was going to, I don't know how. <laughs> what do you do with that? But it was. Some manufacturer thought this was a good idea, and this was going to sell. And it did, because there was a time in Grandma's life where she bought this couch, and, and it fit the room perfectly, and it was great. But then what happens over time, some memories are made on the couch. You remember family reunions sitting on that couch. You remember the story of when cousin so-and-so did that or whatever. And, and so all these memories get made on the, this couch and just it has life to it. And pretty soon, you know, grandma and grandpa pass away or whatever, and the couch gets passed down to your parents. And pretty soon it doesn't fit in your room or your living room. You got it in your basement now. But then pretty soon it gets passed to you because you're getting off on your own. And this is the only couch and it's a free couch. And so you're like, Hey, I'll take a free couch. I'll put a blanket over it or something. And pretty soon you have this ugly couch in your life that at one point fit, but now it has no purpose. And you don't want to get rid of it because it was grandma's couch. And because it had memories attached to it, you can't throw it away, but it's the ugliest thing. Every person who comes into your house says that is an ugly couch. Why does that person have a couch in in this house that looks like that? Why? Because at one point, it served a purpose. At one point, it fit the decor. At one point, it was useful. 
but it got passed down from person to person, from season to season, from generation to generation, and now it's just an ugly couch, and the only person who doesn't know it is you. And it's the same thing with our past, that sometimes we hold on to things of our past that at one point those memories or that situation served a purpose in your life. And it was a healthy thing at the moment or it was even a painful thing at the moment and it was fine to go through that and to feel those emotions and to have that pain at the moment and to deal with that at the moment. But then pretty soon you you have some memories attached to that and it gets carried from one season into the next and it's still an ugly couch now. You didn't think it was then, but now pretty soon it's in your life and there's maybe a blanket over it and you only deal with it every so often, but it's still there and you don't want to get rid of it because it's still important to you somehow. And, and, and so we carry these things from season to season. And this is what we do with people even. We'll put an Instagram filter of an offense that we had at one point in our life and we'll put it over the next person we meet and we'll say, well, the last pastor did this or the last person I did that or the last business transaction was this and we'll put this Instagram filter over the next person. Why? Because we carried that filter from life situation to life situation to life situation. And now here we are with something that no longer fits the situation and the only person that doesn't know it is us. And that's one of the biggest areas that we have trouble in life, especially in the past, the pain of the past, is the area of offenses. It's one of Satan's biggest areas, the area of unforgiveness and offense. So let me give you just a a, a couple things, a couple thoughts about this idea of releasing some of these things. First of all is this, don't ever create a home for your offense in your life. Don't ever create a home for it. What do you do with, the home, with people in your home? You, hopefully you feed them if you invite them over. That's a good idea. Hopefully, you know, the people who live in your house, you protect your house. You protect the people in your house. Uh, you entertain them. You do all these things. And if you create a home for your offense and you treat it the same way, you start to feed your offense. You start to feed your hurt. You may surround yourself with other people who have the same hurt and you start to feed on that together. You, you start to protect your hurt so that if anyone talks against your hurt, you lash out like a wounded animal because this is my hurt and I'm protecting it and this, is, this hurt is in my home and I'm protecting it with all I got. You start to, to entertain the offense and then pretty soon it's, it's, it's got a home in a season of your life that it does not belong in at all. Do not, treat, uh, do not create a home for your offense. And let me tell you another thought about this. Little offenses are just as important as big offenses. Because you may look at your life and you're like, I don't have anything really big that happened to me that was offensive or some big pain in my life. Here's what I've known in my life. Sometimes it's the little things that start to take root. The little things in a particular relationship that start to have seeds planted over time that pretty soon becomes a big deal. Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 14 to 15 says, Strive for peace with everyone, for holiness with which no one will see the, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Don't judge these things, these pains and these offenses by their size. Judge them by what they're trying to accomplish in your life. Because offenses, big or small, do have an agenda and they are trying to accomplish something in your life. Now, how we... Mend our past determines how we spend our future. The second word that came to me was this word repair. Because whenever we have an event in our past or pain in our past, maybe you really screwed something up and you have an enormous amount of regret for that. 
Sometimes instead of acting and repairing the past, we just end up numbing it, stewing on it, all these other things, and we never go to fix the past. And, and these things, and then we, we suffer an enormous guilt and shame for things. You know what? You don't, you don't even have to have done something wrong to feel the effects of shame and pain. Do you, you guys probably know this. I mean, if you felt that, you, you may have had some shame put on you that you, you didn't even do anything wrong. It happened in your childhood. You were getting teased a lot, and it brought this guilt and shame. You didn't even do anything wrong, but it, you've carried it with you all this time. It may have been that your parents divorced or something, and you felt guilty like somehow it was your fault, and you carried that guilt all the way with you, all the way into adulthood. It, it could be uh, something that, that happened to you that maybe uh, somebody else is putting extreme guilt upon you, and, and you haven't done anything wrong, but you still feel the guilt. It may be that you see somebody you're trying to measure up to, and you just can never quite measure up, and you feel the guilt. Let me tell you that, that there's a good guilt and a bad guilt. I like the word conviction better than guilt, but let's just use the word guilt. There's a good guilt, and then there's a bad guilt. Imagine, I mean, if you feel guilty when you do something wrong, that is a good thing, isn't it? I mean, because that means your conscience is working. And if you are a spirit-filled, saved believer, the Holy Spirit is fueling your conscience to help you whenever you screw up to feel something, to feel remorse about that. Imagine if you felt no remorse when you did something wrong. You'd be narcissistic. You'd be a serial killer or something because you would never feel like you did anything wrong. And so sometimes when we feel guilty, that can be a good thing because it's the trigger of our conscience, conscience telling us that something needs to change. But there's also a false guilt or a toxic guilt or a false shame or a toxic shame. You see, the false guilt is when you have not done anything wrong and you feel guilty about it. Godly guilt or conviction says, I have sinned and I need to repair. False guilt just makes you feel condemnation for something you cannot do anything about. The Bible says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with people. If you find that there's an area in your life that you've broken a relationship, that you've sowed discord, that you've created an offense, and there's something you can do about it, do something about it. If, if you're finding that you're just suffering in false guilt and shame, and there's nothing you did wrong, but you still feel guilty, you need to break that off of your life by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it can happen for you today even. And so we need to sort out what those things were. Last year, uh, I was praying, and God revealed something that I had done 20 years ago. And, and I had created a hurt that I, no one, had, brought, no one had, had come and approached me about, but I just remembered what happened. And I thought, man, that's 20 years ago. So, I mean, who cares? I mean, no, it's not that big of a deal. It's way in the past. It's two decades ago. But this thought came up. As much as it depends on me, live at peace. As much as I can help to repair and to build a bridge, do it. And so I don't know about you, but maybe it's just the guy in me that's like really having a hard time apologizing to people. And it's just me. It's probably just me, isn't it? And to humble myself. And so it took a lot of humility to go and repair the bridge. And, and, and to, to do that. And so we have to repair as much as it is, uh, up, as much as we can. Jacob tried to repair in Scripture. He tried to get, bring that re repair to his relationships there at the end as much as he could. We looked a couple weeks ago at Zacchaeus who said, if I've wronged anybody, I'll restore fourfold. And he was willing to repair now, you may say, uh, well, Sean, no one's repairing the relationship or the issue in my heart. No one's repairing the pain in me. So why should I repair the pain in others? This is where we have to choose whether we believe Scripture or not. 
whether we believe in sowing and reaping. This is where you can sow repair in someone else's life. And, and God will reap that back into your life. And you proactively do that by faith. The last word was receive. We have to receive healing and forgiveness in ourselves. Probably the biggest issue in your life, if you've done something wrong or if you have pain or regret in the past, the biggest issue is not even forgiving other people. It's forgiving yourself and allowing yourself to be a new person. Allowing yourself, you know, giving yourself permission to be a new you. Do you realize that most people around you right now, even if they hate your guts and they think you're, you, they don't like you, <laughs> they're more comfortable with you being the way you are than you changing because it's predictable. They know what to expect with you or they put you in a box. So it's hard, and I, and I guarantee you, you're the same way about yourself. You're more comfortable with who you are. Even if you would love to change, you're more comfortable with who you are. And you have to receive permission to, God has already given that, but you've got to receive it into your heart. Because here's what happens. If we do not get stronger on the inside and we try to live beyond where we really are, we're going to create a disaster wherever we go. Let me, let me give you another quote that's like just messing with me right now, all right? It's this. It says, God will not promote us beyond our emotional health. See, you, every single person in, in here it has a certain level on the inside of healthiness on the inside of us emotionally. God will not promote you beyond your emotional health. If we promote ourselves beyond our emotional health, we will fail. And God loves us too much to promote us into failure. See, the, what blows me away about that, it, what scares me about that is how I understand how I work. I'm a pretty driven person, and I recognize areas in my life where I can drive, my, my ambition can drive me beyond my emotional health. And so I know it's possible. I know that I can, I can promote myself beyond my current level of emotional health. And so that's why it takes some deer hunting moments <laughs> for me to come back and say, Lord, where am I really at? Because I do not want to promote myself into failure. I want, I want you to be, and see what happens when we promote ourselves beyond our, spirit, our, our emotional health, God's like, all right, I, I'm not gonna be a part of this. Let's just you know, see what happens here. And there's a danger in that. We have to receive healing and forgiveness and go from shame to a new name. That's what, it's all about identity. You see, shame wants to change your identity. Shame wants to give you a false identity, but true conviction wants you to propel you into your destiny. Because in Genesis chapter 32, later on, we see the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and he wrestles with him in verse 24 till the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he says, what is your name? You see, in Jacob's name, he said, Jacob, in that name, Jacob, for, for him, and it'd be different for each one of us, but for him, that name, Jacob, represented his past. It represented him running from his past. It represented all of the regret that he had sowed in his past. And so that's why he asked him, what was your name? And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men. You see, for Jacob, he had no future in his past. He had no future in that name, Jacob, and his destiny was in the name of Israel. It was in the people of God through Israel. That's where his destiny was. And if he was to, to live in the past and not in, in his destiny, he would have missed out on all that God had for him. 
So if you want to go from shame to a new name, you have to take and replace. That's the way I say it. Take and replace. We have to take every contrary thought about our identity, every contrary thought about the thoughts about our past that do not line up with heaven, we have to take them captive in the name of Jesus. We have to take them captive. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 or 4 and 5, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought, every thought captive to obey Christ. We take it captive. Have you guys have ever done the five-second rule with food, right? Food falls on the ground, five-second rule, I'm gonna eat the food. Have you guys ever done that before? You just be honest. All right, five-second rule. Have you guys ever done that at somebody else's house before? Anybody? All right, you guys are messed up, man. That takes a lot of faith right there. I mean, you don't know what, I mean, if you're in your own house and your dog licks the floor and you're okay with that, that's fine. You don't know what's happened in somebody else's house. Uh, so, a long time ago, God started working with me on my thoughts, and I apply the five-second rule to my thoughts. Anything, any thought that is contrary to the Word of God, any thought that is contrary to the way of God in my life, any thought that is trying to hold me back from my future by tying me back to a pain in my past, within five seconds, if I have that and I have a thought, I can't control every thought that comes in, but I can control every thought once it's in and take it captive in the name of Jesus. And I've found that if I do that quickly, it doesn't have time to take root. And so all, all the time, I'll have a thought, five-second rule, taking that captive in the name of Jesus. Like, I do not let let it trespass any further. And then we simply replace with grace. Replace with grace. How many of you guys are thankful that Jesus is our atonement, that he paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for the past to be wiped away so that we can be a new creation. Romans chapter five talks about how Jesus is our atonement. That means he paid the price, that he himself paid the price. That word literally means at one meant. It literally means that we have been made at one, atoned, we've been made at one with God. So that you can truthfully say, if God is for me, I am at one with God. Who could be against me? If God is for me, who could be against me? Let me finish up with a story or an illustration maybe you've heard before, but I think it's powerful. You know, if you you see an elephant in the circus, a big old elephant, and he's got just like this rope around his neck and a little wooden stake. It's like, why does the elephant stay there where he's just got this little rope and a stake? It's because when, when they, the elephant was just a baby elephant, they would take it and put a big heavy chain around the elephant's neck and take a big metal stake and drive it into the ground. So the baby elephant, even though it was powerful, it would try to pull against the stake, but there was no way it could pull that stake out. There was no way, and, and eventually the chain would start to wear out, wear around his neck, and he'd get tired of pulling on that chain. Eventually just give up and say, well, it's fine. I'm not going to be able to pull this out. So much so that he'd been conditioned throughout his whole life that you could have a full-grown elephant with just a rope and a little wooden stake. How you guys know that that elephant can pull that stake out at any time? It chooses not to because it's been conditioned all through its life from its past. And what I'm telling you today is when you are in Christ, too many people are like that elephant with just a rope and a wooden stake. You're more free than you even understand. You can be free. You could pull up that stake at any moment in, in your life. You could pull it and you could walk right away from your past. And yet we still feel under that old life that we've been cranked down with a chain around our neck, with a metal stake in the ground, and we can't ever pull it free. I'm telling you that God has better plans for you. Today. Would you guys stand up with me as we close out in prayer?
Here's what I want you to realize today. I know that we don't have time right now to have that hunting in the woods moment like I haven't talked about (laughs) where we just sit there and stop and take all the noise away in this moment. We don't have time to allow God to deal with those areas we've been running from in our heart. But if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment, maybe God is speaking some things right now that you already know about. You're like, oh man, yeah, there's this pain that I have not dealt with. I'm not asking you to have that, that moment right now, but I am saying, let's make an appointment with God to say, God, I'm going to clear some time this week to get in the quiet moment and to open up the door of my heart to deal with the area that I've been running from, to deal with the pain that I've been running from, to deal with the offense that I've been allowing to have root, to deal with the the pain of the past. At least just make an appointment with God right now and say, God, this week, I'm going to get in the quiet place. I'm going to stop running. I'm not going to stop filling my life with all the noise. And I'm going to let you bring healing in the inside. Lord, I pray for those right now who are dealing with pain in the past and, and it seems like they can never run far enough. It keeps catching up with them. Lord, I, I pray that there'd be a revelation that as we mend our past, that determines how we get to spend our future and that there'd be healing come from the Holy Spirit. Healing come from, if you've got a broken heart, Jesus, he can heal the broken heart. If you've got father issues, he's the ultimate father and he can be a father to the fatherless. Lord, that healing would come. If offenses have come, that they wouldn't dwell on how much they've been wrong, but they've been, they would dwell on how much Jesus did for them that was right. Lord, that there would be healing that would come and wash all over these people in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship him one more time. All right. Encourage you to go visit the Cheneys out there at their table. Next week, I'm going to be talking about Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas present. And we'll talk about how to live in the here and now. How many of you guys have trouble being present where you're at sometimes? We're going to deal with that next week. Looking forward to it. We'll see you then. You're dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.